I self-identify as a runner, although physically and probably mentally I am not. <laughs> but when, when we finally made it back and uh, told uh, Laz that we were, we'd had enough, we were going home, he said, you guys can't quit, you're in first place. <laughs> This is Three Star Runners. Today we are joined by the legendary Tom Green. We'll discuss his early racing career as well as the devastating injury that almost kept him from running again. That I've written just to introduce you, if that's okay, Tom. Oh, sure. Sure. Okay. And if there's stuff that is like total lies, then you just call me out on it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, only if it doesn't make me look better. <laughs> well, everything is because. So anyway, we'll get to it. All right. Uh, every runner has a story. For some, it involves beating cancer. For others, it's a pact with a friend to run a marathon. Often, these are like superhero origin stories and a switch is flipped. You go from someone who runs to a runner, and it's all mental. Our guest today is Tom Green. He has a very dramatic origin story with trail running. In 1986, he completed the original Grand Slam, and I'm not talking about the Denny's Breakfast. He ran 400-mile races, including Old Dominion, Western States, Leadville, and Wasatch, all the original 4100s, all within 12 weeks of each other. If his story stopped there, he would go down as a legend among trail and ultra runners. An even more amazing story of endurance, resilience, and recovery turned Tom from a niche sport legend into honest-to-goodness real-life superhero. His is a story that everyone, not just runners, should know. In 2015, after a severe accident where both his life and his ability to walk again were often in doubt, he proved that nearly, <clears throat> that nearly impossible means nothing with unshaken determination combined with unassailable human spirit. So today we have Tom Green joining Phil, Brian, and I on Three Star Runners. Thanks for being with us, Tom. Well, thanks for having me. All right, so we want to start a little bit about uh, your original running uh, story. So how you started off running, because I understand that that wasn't kind of your initial plan when you uh, really got into running when you were young. Uh, no, I, uh, I wanted to be a, a football star like, uh, my next older brother, but, uh, being barely a hundred pounds going into high school, I really wasn't gonna, uh, make it on the gridiron. And I think my brother knew it and he talked me into going out for the sport called cross country. And he said that he was, he knew for sure that I could run. And uh, so. Uh, That's I, nice. Most older brothers would be like, yeah, jump on the football <laughs> field, see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, 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 he didn't look anything like me. He was uh, closer to 180. He, he played fullback. Um, he, he was a pretty hefty guy, but uh, uh I, I, I didn't quite understand at that time uh, how, uh, 
how I, I just wasn't built for football. <laughs> uh, I, I really wasn't even much of a runner starting off. I, I can still remember the embarrassment of finishing last in uh, track races my freshman year, but uh, eventually uh, began to improve enough to have a, a few good runs. Nice. So how did that change from transitioning after you started out running then how did that transition kind of running as a sport uh, after you graduated and kind of moved on? Um, well, I, I ran in high school, ran some in college, uh, but afterwards back in the um, early seventies, there, there just wasn't any citizen races to speak of. Uh, the 10 Ks were just starting to come, come into being in the uh, mid seventies, I think. And, uh, I entered one, uh, then and, uh, re resumed my running. And, uh, so went from the middle distance events and, uh, high school and then five miles college and, uh, uh, eventually got a little bored with um, the 10Ks, even the marathons got too predictable. And I uh, read an article about the Old Dominion 100 mile and it, I, I was just blown away. And I, I showed the article to my wife and I, I said, I've got to try this. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was just something that uh, drew me immediately to it. So what year was that that you uh, decided to run the Old Dominion 100? Do you remember? Uh, that that was 83. Okay. And, uh, and the, that was only, an article in a, like an ultra uh, trail running magazine or newspaper. Uh, Do you remember where it was? It, you first it got was the... um, running, running times, I think. Okay. And uh, I, I was uh, really suckered into it because all of the photographs showed all of these uh, uh, middle-aged runners and a lot of them looked like they were a little overweight. <laughs> and I thought, well, surely it couldn't be as hard as you would think. That's how all of us are suckered into 100 milers. <laughs> <laughs> it, it looked like they were having so much fun. And, uh, but I... After I tried it, I realized that they had something that I just did not have, and it was all mental. So tell us where where's Old Dominion, and what was the first year that you attempted? Tell us about that first uh, um, 100 attempt. The Old Dominion uh, takes place in Virginia, the Old Dominion being their uh, state nickname, uh, and it, it was uh, the first weekend in June. Uh, 1983 and I basically talked my way into it uh, without any qualifications uh, I I confirmed with the race director that I was in fact running 70 miles a week which uh, I, I don't know that I'd ever run more than 40 uh, <laughs> but he took a chance and let me in and uh, uh, I gave it a try how was that first attempt? Oh, it was, it was horrible. I, <laughs> I, I hadn't even run trails. And here I was uh, trying to follow uh, Mark's 
to follow the course. I got lost. It was, I tried to make up for lost time in the heat of the day, got dehydrated. I, I made every mistake I could have made. <laughs> and I, I reached 60 miles, barely under the cutoff. And I was so dehydrated that uh, they said I'd have to drink a half gallon before I could continue anyway, which was their way of suggesting, you know, why don't I call it a day? Yeah. So I, I stopped at uh, 60 miles. Um, but o over the next uh, year, that whole race just kept replaying in my mind over and over. And I, I just had to go back and see if I couldn't uh, improve and try to finish. So that's what I did the next year. And uh, I got to the 60-mile point. Uh, I felt every bit as bad as I did the year before. <laughs> But I was two hours ahead of that nice. time because I hadn't got lost. So I, uh, I was about 13 pounds down from oh. my starting weight. Wow. And uh, or at least from the check-in mm -hmm. weight. Uh, but they allowed me to continue. And uh, I uh, just took it one eight stop at a time and managed to finish that year. That's awesome. Um, what what were those aid stations like in the early eighties on, on oh, those hundred milers? <laughs> they they were pretty bare bones. You you really needed a crew. Okay. Um, uh, in, in fact, um, they they didn't offer much. Uh, I, I should have pulled it out, but the race number for that first year was actually a cloth pouch. And you pinned it on your your shorts or shirt, and you had a place that you could put things like uh, uh, snacks to carry. Uh, people weren't using fanny packs at that point, and uh, it, <laughs> it it was quite different than it is uh, today. So there wasn't an army of volunteers cooking you bacon and tortillas? Uh, no, no, far <laughs> from it. Uh, the Old Dominion was actually uh, started off as a horse ride, just like the Western States 100. And it was patterned after that. Um, and at one point, uh, the horse ride aid station is separate from the runners uh, because it was mainly a horse ride. And uh, that first year that I finished, my wife had planned to meet me at the 75 mile aid station, but she went to the horse aid station and I got through the aid station. <laughs> I did not see her. I didn't have anything to eat. And I just laid down in the ditch, and I, I was going to flag down the next car that came by, and I was going to drop. Oh, and wow. uh, so uh, when the next car came, I got out of the ditch, turned out to be my wife and uh, another running uh, friend, David Horton. And uh, they, they realized that they had missed me at the previous aid station and they got out, uh, 
gave me some food and David Horton gave me a big pep talk and <laughs> he, he knew I wanted to drop, but he wouldn't let me talk. And he just kept uh, giving me uh, words of encouragement, rubbing my legs, talked me into changing shoes, anything that would make me feel better. And uh, he got me going again for the final 10 miles and I finished. That's awesome. Phil is already out. If there's no bacon at aid stations, he's not sure if he could have done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, ba bacon's kind of a new, uh, <laughs> a new runner food. That's probably why the, you know, well, and I'm just amazed at, you know, just even starting that first ultra race. Nowadays, we can go on ultra sign up and all of those races are listed. And it, with a click of a button, you can plan out your whole season in 15 minutes. You know, it may yeah. take a little time with the lotteries and, and things like that and coordinating travel. But, you know, you had to find this in a magazine. You had to reach out to the race director. You have no yeah. idea what to expect. I mean, so just your, you know, your motivation from the beginning is, is amazing. Yeah, it, it was quite different. And uh, uh, you, you could basically talk your way into a race if, if you really wanted to do it. Um, like, like I say, I, I had no qualifications. Old Dominion was my very first ultra. I didn't even know what they were until I read about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So how did you go from, so you uh, didn't finish the first Old Dominion and you did finish that second year. And then it was only one more year before you decided to do um, all four of the Grand Slam. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's correct. I, I went back to Old Dominion the third year. Uh, now, keep in mind, there, there was only 400-mile races in the country at that time, and only one in the eastern U.S. Yeah. So I, I didn't have a whole lot of choices. So I went back to Old Dominion, and I only made uh, like 70 miles that year and dropped out again. And that it, so I was uh, one for three, and I, I just <laughs> felt so um, frustrated that I was like that. I couldn't finish. That that was when I decided the next year I was going to come back and not only finish Old Dominion again, but I was going to do the other three as well. So you'd never been out to any of those other races or did you know other people that had run those other hundred milers? Correct. Um, I, I didn't know of any other ultra runners where I was living at the time. Um, there was no internet, so you really didn't know much about them. Yeah. Uh, other than what you might read in ultra running magazine. Well, that's a, that's a, good point i mean there would have been no you know right now you can go to the running shop in town and there's you know a handful of other people who are doing this crazy ultra running sport you were probably the only person who did that what did your coworkers and your the people in your neighborhood think about you doing this stuff oh gosh the the other runners avoided me like the plague you know? <laughs> They, there was a few marathoners, but nobody wanted to go farther than that. And uh, I think word spread in the, our local running club 
that, uh, you know, I was kind of crazy and, and, you know, not to hang around with me too, too, too long. <laughs> so you, you decided to go to give it a try to do uh, all four of those. There's only four of them, those 400 mile races. Um, tell me, a tell us a little bit about uh, the experience at each one and you don't have to go in too long winded about it, but how each of those, the, the first time on those different races, the first time yeah. running well, Leadville um, and Western. The, one of the, the reasons that I got a thought about doing the Grand Slam was I read an article in Ultra Running Magazine written by a man who had actually done all four races over a period of years. And he was comparing each race and uh, how in, in terms of difficulty and the scenery and uh, that that's where I got the idea to run all four but uh, at the same time uh, two of the editors of Ultra Running Magazine came up with this independently of me came up with the same plan to run all four only they went public, public with their <clears throat> Uh, plan, whereas I just kept it to myself. <laughs> and uh, when they went public with it, pretty soon everybody was jumping on the bandwagon. They they were sure. going to do all four. <laughs> so at the start of the Old Dominion, which was the first race, there was 12 of us who had signed intentions of doing all four. Did you look at the other yeah. guys and you're like, oh man, I got these guys. There's no way. I, <laughs> Did you trip one I, of them? <laughs> Actually, I, I felt like I was one of the underdogs at that point because they, they were the, the few that I knew were pretty good runners. But I was surprised that after just the first race, six had already dropped out. Six didn't even finish the first race. And then two weeks later at Western States, found out that I was the only one left that finished. And, so you finished uh, Old Dominion in Western, and you're like, oh, man, I'm the only one that has a chance at this. Yeah, so it went from being disappointed that everybody was taking my idea <laughs> and running with it to the, to the point where it was adding credibility to what I was wanting to do yeah and pretty soon people took notice and they they started to you know encourage me and uh, then of course after Leadville uh, finishing there going into Wasatch gosh the the race director was giving me the first class treatment uh, taking awesome. me out with uh, uh, other runners to show me the course so I wouldn't get lost and uh, it, it it was pretty exciting yeah I bet oh man that's amazing so after I know you, you oh. go ahead Phil well I was just gonna say after you finished the Grand Slam I mean an accomplishment like that today you'd you know you'd be asked to do interviews for every running magazine and and show after you completed it and you were the only one of those 12 to actually accomplish what you set out to do, you know, what type of reaction did you get from the running community or, you know, your, your, the media, you know, what type of response did you see? Um, there, there wasn't much. I, I still didn't, uh, 
uh, you know, try to make a big deal about it. Even in my running club, it didn't get much attention. Uh, yeah, they're probably so. asking you how fast you're going. You're like, oh man, you don't understand. That doesn't matter. Pace uh, doesn't yes. matter. <laughs> yeah. They, I, I think at the annual meeting, they did mention that I did, you know, the 400 mile races, but then, you know, that was pretty much the extent of it. Man. They 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 were just more concerned with the, uh, you know the ten Ks, five Ks, and stuff like that. Crazy. Well, now that you've uh, talked a little bit about that, do you have a favorite race? Either a story from one of your favorite races, or just a course that? I mean, I know you've done you've done Western States over ten times. You've done all those other original Grand Slam races a bunch of other times. Uh, you've done a bunch of races, uh, especially out here in the East Coast, a bunch of them like in Virginia uh, and the JFK 50 miler. I know you've done a couple of dozen times, right? Is there a race yes. that comes to mind that you're like, oh man, either the race that day was perfect or the course <laughs> is perfect or even just a great story from one of those races? Um, well, it, it seems like the, the course is differed so much that uh, each one was uh, uh, from one year to the next uh, I, I may have just a fantastic experience the, the next time it might be super miserable sure. uh, the the west uh, western states experience is the, that's kind of a one-of-a-kind event but I'm so glad that not every race is like Western States. Sure. Uh, Wasatch has um, perhaps the biggest variety of terrain, and uh, and it, it is so challenging. But then again, it, it's hard to do that, you know, uh, every other week. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, and for Vermont. Um, was a that that's a great event too and it, it's totally different from uh western states old dominion is like the real old school uh still today yeah. uh it, it's held in conjunction with the the horse ride or, they still do uh, it with the horses well no they they may have separated that but for a long time it, it was held uh at the same time. same time. When was the last time you did Old Dominion, Ryan? Oh, well, I was like you. I DNF my Old Dominion attempt at mile <laughs> eighty something. Um, but yeah, it's been a while. I can't even tell you. Probably eight, ten years. But yeah. yeah. So what Ryan you... didn't have Phil and I to crew him back then. <laughs> that's so right. That's why he didn't finish. <laughs> so... it, it yeah, having a good crew and a pacer, uh, it, it it can make a big difference. So what do you think about the changes in ultras over the years, um, the commercialization of ultra marathons and it um, going from being, uh, you know, kind of like you said, just a uh, regular everyday Joe's being in the top 10 to now a, um, a whole professional group of pro runners now being in the top 10. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it has changed quite a bit. I, I kind of miss the, uh, the days back when um, I pretty much knew everybody in the race. Uh, nowadays, uh, they have 
some very uh, talented runners. Uh, we, we didn't seem to have many of those back then. It was uh, pretty much the, the people that just couldn't make a go of it in a marathon or the short distance. And uh, so they just gravitated to uh, the longer races, uh, not because they were fast or anything, but some of the runners uh, today, like uh, Walmsley and uh, uh, I, I forget some of the uh, other names, but they're, they're just in, <laughs> incredible. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it, it's come quite quite a ways. Although I I can't necessarily say it's all for the better, but uh, sure. you know that's that's the way it it goes. It is amazing the participation, right? To say that not that long ago there was only four hundred mile races, and now I don't even know how many hundred mile races there are in the country, but yeah, there's. 50 to 60,000 people that enter them every year. Yes. Uh, and, you know, that brings, brings you back to Western states. Uh, it, it's going to be next to impossible for people to ever get 10 finishes there. Uh, a lot of people go eight years before they they even succeed in getting in. Yeah, yeah Brian. I'm, I'm one of them. And yeah, it's, sure. it, it's <laughs> the same with uh, Barkley. Uh, I I went I was there at the first year of Barkley just because I happened to see a flyer at some race and uh, I had no idea what to expect. You know, <laughs> any, anybody could have just showed up and paid the. 50 cents or whatever <laughs> entry fee at, at the time. And, uh, but uh, also not knowing what kind of a course Barkley was, was pretty much a guarantee that nobody was going to finish. You know, when you show up thinking it's going to be a regular trail run and they send you off onto a, uh, in search of pages and a book, you know, with no trails and, <laughs> <laughs> Yep, Brian's Brian's done that one too. Yeah, with uh, the same outcome as everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my first year, I I even took my sixteen year old nephew, who had dropped out of school, and I said, "Why don't you just come with me?" <laughs> <laughs> he he right was in shape. <laughs> he was in shape because he'd been running cross country in, in school and uh, <laughs> he'd never run any trails either and uh, oh what a miserable day I mean it, it was <laughs> ten, 10 degrees when we started off we were immediately lost um, the water bottles froze up so I threw them away <laughs> going up the first mountain we reached the food drop before the food got dropped so we oh, were out there for eight hours drinking out of the creek with no food and uh, <laughs> uh i i was never so happy to drop out after <laughs> you finished the lap though huh yeah well all we right didn't have much much choice <laughs> there's know? nowhere else I, to go <laughs> i didn't know how to get out of there <laughs> but when when we finally made it back and uh told uh laz that we were 
we'd had enough. We were going home. He said, you guys can't quit. You're in first place. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it didn't matter. We, we hadn't seen anybody all day. We get lost. <laughs> so we, we had no idea what was going on. So sounds, um, sounds like you were just a little less lost than everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> my, my brother, um, it, it was his son that I took down there. He said the people were coming out of the woods from all directions. Oh, man. <laughs> Did your nephew do um, any other trail races after that? Or was he like, well, all right, he, this is crazy. He said he would never, never do it again. Never <laughs> go to a race with me again. But I talked <laughs> him into going to the Mountain Massacre's 50 mile, which is an organized, albeit a rather difficult 50 mile. Yeah. And wouldn't you know, it was the absolute worst weather they've ever had there. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he managed to finish that. And once again, he said he'd never go to a race with me. And he's held to that uh, ever since. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, those are some hard races. Those are not your uh, normal intro to trail race races. Mountain Masticus and Barclays, those are both ones that <laughs> most people don't finish. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my nephew did fairly well. Uh, I think he was still uh, just 16 at the time. And he's, uh, to this day, I think the youngest finisher they've ever had. Wow. Uh, so, uh, but he, he doesn't look the same. He's He's gone from 140 pounds to like uh over 200 pounds he's he's <laughs> life happens right <laughs> yeah yeah well speaking of that that kind of brings us to a turning point um of your races you had this illustrious career running all of the premier races in the country um starting with when all of them were in their infancy all the way through 2015 and then 2015, something kind of threw everything off from what you were, your plans and what your expectations were. Yeah. Um, let's see. I, I was working in the yard that day. Uh, we were, we took, I was working with, with a friend who was helping uh, replace the fence. And we took a few minutes to cut down a tree branch that had been overhanging the garage and chewing up the shingles. So it, it, it seemed simple enough. And uh, we, we cut the branch down, but uh, we ended up leaving it attached. And I trimmed off all the smaller branches just to make it easier to deal with. So we basically had a hanging log uh, you know, maybe 100, 150, 200 pound log. And uh, we were pulling on it, twisting it, and it fell. And that that's about all I remember. But apparently, when the tree limb wow. fell on the ground, the heavy end uh, threw the light end up and uh, it hit me across the head like a baseball bat, I, I hear. 
You remember everything up until the tree branch hitting the ground, huh? Yes, I, I can remember pulling on it and twisting it. And uh, that's all I remember for the next month. Yeah, I bet. Well, the stories that I've read are amazing of just kind of all the events that um, happened after that. Uh, significant injury to your um, carotid artery. Uh, that caused multiple strokes, some fractures to your skull that included some um, long-term issues with your balance. Um, from my perspective, I'm a, an ER doc, and the fact that the EMS crew knew immediately, hey, this guy needs to go straight to Baltimore to shock trauma, likely was a life-saving decision. Uh, shock trauma is one of the premier trauma centers in the United States. Uh, and just that time frame of getting you just to the, the right place uh, immediately, I'm sure made a huge difference in uh, everything from uh, the beginning through your recovery. Yeah, um, I, I guess uh, the first responders were there very quickly. The there's a station uh, probably less than a mile from our house. And even though we have a good hospital, I think just uh, maybe three miles from here, uh, they, they called for a helicopter right away. So that decision uh, even, was amazing. Even made the, the local TV news. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that decision to get you get you right there immediately um, paid huge dividends, I'm sure, and and getting everything in in your recovery. And I know that recovery wasn't easy. Um, I remember reading recently that as you were still waking up, um, you overheard your wife Kay and someone else talking about uh, the next race that you had planned was Wasatch later in that oh. summer, <laughs> and that you were. Uh, you're like, what do you mean? I'm still running that race. Yeah. Well, even before that, I, I was entered in the Ice Age 50 mile, which takes place in May, which was, I was still in the hospital and I heard that uh, a good running friend uh, had offered to withdraw me from the race. And here I, I couldn't even stand up out of bed yet. And I, I was still upset that she withdrew my name. <laughs> but that's that's comes with the brain injury. I, I just couldn't quite uh, think properly. You've forgiven them already for canceling oh, yeah. that, right? <laughs> yeah. I, in fact, I, I really admire and appreciate that she would think to do that. I'm sure. Uh, but it, it was just funny at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Well, now um, I wanted to ask just a little bit of how you decided, Tom, after that significant injury and recovery, how you decided that you were going to get back to running another 100-mile race. Well, I honestly didn't think that I would ever be able to um, uh, do another race, but... Uh, the more I kept working, and uh, I ended up 
managing to walk my first mile within about, uh, I think it was two months after my accident. I walked a mile with a, using a, a regular walker. And uh, I, I wanted to do another ultra mm -hmm. or ultra distance. So I signed up for a 24 hour and I managed to cover 40 miles over 24 hours. Amazing. Uh, but then I thought, well, maybe I could go for 50 miles. So I signed up for uh, the Umstead uh, 50 mile or 100 mile. And I managed to complete 50. And I completed it at a pace, if continued, would allow me to finish 100 under 30 hours. So that's, that's when I started looking for a hundred that I might be able to do. Um, not, not all race directors are agreeable to letting a person in pushing a, a baby jogger. And sure. I, I found uh, the Yeti hundred uh, and the race director, Jason Green, and I talked with him and he, he had heard of my accident and uh, was following my recovery and he not only welcomed me into the race but he said if you need a couple of extra hours we'll give it to you That's so amazing. i <laughs> but the first time that i attempted it which would have been a, about a year and a half after the accident i knew that i would have trouble going side to side but what caught me off guard was after it got dark since my balance is mainly through my vision now mm -hmm. um, when it got dark I didn't have enough lights and what surprised me was that I caught myself actually walking backwards and wow. <laughs> and that that really uh woke me up and uh so i started again and before long i found myself walking backwards again i didn't have a pacer and i still had eight more hours of darkness yeah and uh that that's when i decided to end my attempt that year and then i went back the next year with uh like 5,000 lumens on my <laughs> stroller and uh, I, I was able to complete it. That's amazing. So w uh, within a year of your, this severe accident, you're uh, trying another hundred miler and it just took another year to kind of fine tune some of those things that you knew, Hey, I'm going to need these sorts of things later on in the race. That's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. It, it, it all worked out pretty good and I got a lot of support from uh, like I say in addition to the race director but a, a friend in California who'd never even run an ultra he he entered the race and uh, ran with me as well so and and he was 63 years old doing his first ultra and <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> and he he managed to I I, I couldn't drop you know, as long as uh, he was still running, <laughs> I, I couldn't drop. Uh, so it, it worked out good. 
So Tom, one of the things that I find amazing about that is, uh, so I'm an ear, nose and throat doctor, and I see a lot of people who have had head injuries and have problems with their balance. The, I, I heard you on a podcast say that your semicircular canals were damaged and yeah. people don't realize how fragile that system is. And when it gets damaged, you know, you need your eyes, your inner ear and the rest of your muscles, bones, joints to have normal balance. And if one of those things gets disrupted, you rely really heavily on the others to have any sort of equilibrium. And I was telling Russ when we were talking about you that, you know, I fill out a lot of, you know, disability paperwork for people who have much less, you know, aggressive or, you know, damaging injuries because they just can't, they can't figure out a way to get their balance back enough to do the things they need to do. So I, I was just so impressed that you managed to find a way around this uh, challenge. You know, it's, mm. it's amazing how many people would say, well, that's a good reason to just stop. And <laughs> you just said, well, that's just means I have a, you know, I don't have a life threatening problem anymore. What I have is a challenge and you found a way to work around it with basically a, you know, UFO type jogging stroller that had so much light, you could use your eyes as good as, as good as possible in the dark. <laughs> yeah. So, just amazing. Well, I, I think the best decision I made was to ditch the granny walker in, in uh, favor of uh, a baby jogger, which allowed me to go a little bit faster. And um, by using that, um, I was able to train just through the feel of my hand on the stroller if I was uh, tipping one way or the other. And yeah. uh, since I didn't need the stroller or the walker to support me, uh, all I needed to have was the feel of, uh, you know, whether I'm upright or not. <laughs> and it uh, it's actually uh, thrown me once uh, early on when I was running and I went over a speed bump on the uh, the road that I was running and the speed bump uh, kind of tapered off on one side so the stroller tilted to one side oh, and no. I immediately thought that I was falling over so I <laughs> I, I must have looked funny to the people <laughs> that if they saw me you know when the stroller tipped I I practically went down Wow. That's, that's pretty amazing. You're using your proprioception, you know, your, your fine proprioceptive skills through the stroller to just really understand a course. Cause these, you know, this isn't a road race that you're doing. <laughs> so, yeah. And you know. I, I've also had to um, reduce my goals, my expectations, uh, you know, to go from, you know, being able to run 17 hour hundreds to being the absolute last runner in a hundred. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've had to just accept that, you know, my, I, I'm there for different reasons, but the one thing that hasn't changed is that I can still do the best that I can do. 
So I, I just have to be happy with that. Well, a lot of us start with uh, um, our expectations are just trying to finish anyway. So it just took you a lot longer to get there, Tom, than the rest of us. And, <laughs> and, and a really bad injury. So the rest of us are just trying to finish and we're just looking at you for, wow, this guy can do it. Uh, I'm going to put, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Well, I, 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 I've had my good races, my good years. I, I actually enjoy the people that I'm meeting at the back of the pack. Uh, it, it's, I, I think those people actually have more fun. I think they enjoy <laughs> running more. They run for the, uh, the right reasons. You know, it's not just, uh, to see how fast they are or who they can beat, but uh, they're they're more willing to uh, help each other and uh, you know run as a, a team. Absolutely, I think that's back to the old days of ultra running, which was it wasn't about necessarily finishing fast, but it was about the community and uh, uh, yeah, like you, as we slowed a little bit, we we find those things. Well, I'm always kind of curious too. The kind of the fun thing is, I think all three of us that are the host here are. Or kind of healthcare professionals. I'm a physical therapist and I actually specialize oh. in uh, balance and vestibular issues. That's my specialty oh, yes. area. So um, yeah, one of the things I always tell people is people always tell me I want to do X, but people aren't willing to, um, to work for it. So that's kind of my question to you is what's your motivation or what would you tell to people that say, I want to do it? But I mean, it sounds like you worked for it. I would have loved to have been your physical therapist. That would have been a dream job for me. That would have been like my assignment of the lifetime. Um, but Well, yeah. I, I, I have a, a newfound um, appreciation for the doctors, the nurses, the physical therapists. And uh, uh, in fact, the, uh, uh, working with my physical therapist, uh, it seemed like for a week, he kept uh, trying to increase my, uh, my walking. He said, we're, we're going to do 10 steps. And it took me, I, I remember, about a week before I could take 10 steps before having to be caught. So, uh, you know, you, you just take little goals at a time. Absolutely. Good. Tom, how much do you think some of those early days of having to figure out how to complete a hundred miler and how to complete uh, those hard trail races played into your recovery um, when you had to recover from this injury, knowing, knowing what your goals were and knowing where you had started before? Um, well, it, Things were uh, in a little, uh, it made things, put them more in perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, may, maybe the accident didn't it, at first seem as bad as it was, uh, or maybe it was just that my mind didn't quite process it as being quite that bad, you know, like, oh, my arm doesn't move, you know, and it doesn't even, uh, you don't notice things like that, but, sure. uh, but I, I, I think that it did help, 
to try to uh, uh, push me a little bit harder in, in my recovery, wanting to do more. Sure. I think I've, one of the things I appreciate, I heard you on another podcast say is that you had so many people who were looking at you like a Superman and their expectations of you were so high that you, you know, felt you had to rise to those expectations. Like you had a big, you know, cheerleading force that kind of drove you on also. Do you find that that was instrumental in your recovery that was so rapid? Um, yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, I, I do remember uh, telling that story. Uh, I, I was never the type of person that could complete any difficult task. But once I was able to finish the Grand Slam, uh, people started, they had this misconception that I must be, uh, like I said, a, a some kind of a Superman, which, which I, I wasn't. I, I was just a normal person that had learned to push a little bit more. Sure. And I, I think everybody deep inside has that, but they just don't know how to bring, bring it forth. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree with Ma you. Imagine, Brian, if you could tell all of your patients you're just a normal person, but you got to figure out how to bring out a little bit more. And, and if they could actually do that, how much easier your job would be. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We have this pep talk a lot. I, I wish I could bottle what, uh, yeah, Mr. Green has there. Cause it's, uh, it's amazing. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm blown away by, by your recovery and how well you've done. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I wasn't always so, um, what what's the word uh kind to some of my physical therapists i i remember when <laughs> when they came in to when i was at the kernan hospital uh to take me down to physical therapy uh she the the lady came in and said well today you're going to put on your your own shoes and i i i can remember being so aggravated that she didn't put my shoes on for me and I had to put them on myself and she waited it took me 15 minutes to put my shoes on and it it just left me totally exhausted but looking back on it now I I can see that you have to do something like that it's uh you got to take things a step at a time and uh and it, it's the same with running um you, you got to build up to it, but uh, uh, people can do more than what they think they can. So what would you say to someone that said, uh, yeah, I can run a half marathon, but I don't think I could ever run a 50K or a 50 miler or heaven forbid, even a hundred miler? Well, I, I felt that way myself uh, years ago. Uh, running in high school i i didn't run any farther than two miles and then went to college where i had to run five miles in cross country and i thought there's no way i can do that and then uh, <laughs> eventually running a, a marathon and uh, and then uh, stepping it up to a, 
a hundred mile and now the short races kill me yeah <laughs> uh but it's uh it, it's all in uh your attitude your pacing um I, I honestly think just about everybody, you know, barring injury, uh, is, is capable of, of running farther than they think they can. Well, Tom, I hope that uh, all of us can get to spread the word uh, to more people because I don't, I don't think that you should just be a a legend among trail and ultra runners. Uh, you should be uh, somebody that everybody can say, yeah, he did some great things running, um, but the true uh, measure of the medal of Tom Green uh, is the amazing recovery that he uh, did after his accident, the, the determination, the resiliency to, it sounds to me almost like there was never a question in your mind that you're going to get back to running. It was just a matter of uh, how long it was going to take. Um, but that's, that's a story that uh, people should know, not just runners, but everybody um, that there's more to us. There's more to, to all of us than sometimes we give our own selves credit for. Yeah, that's uh, certainly true. And uh, I, I just hope that I can, uh, keep it up for a, a little while longer. I, I had planned to uh, the Yeti last year to be my final hundred until a friend had to point out that if I can finish the Yeti this year after turning 70, that'll give me 100 mile finishes in five consecutive decades of my life. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. so suddenly now uh, I've got to I'm committed to one more. And, uh, <laughs> That's how it always happens. There's always one more. Yes. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I, I'm, I'm going to have to up my training to at least 10 miles a week now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's amazing. So. Guys, do you have other questions? No. No, Tom, thank you so much. Well, thanks for uh, having me on. And uh, it, it's nice to chat with some people. I, I don't get to see many people, even if it is in uh, uh, quarantine uh, situations. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully uh, some of us can see you at Yeti. If the, the Yeti race is still going to happen this fall, hopefully we can see you there. And if you need a pacer. I'm here for you, no doubt. I've <laughs> well, run the Yeti before, so we love it. Oh yeah. Well, my um, my physical fitness trainer, who has been working with me for nearly five years, he'd never done anything like that. But last year, hearing that it was my last hundred, he decided, you know, how could he not do it with me if it was my final one? And then he heard that. I'll be doing another, and uh, with, with an expletive, he signed up again. <laughs> so uh, I, I guess he'll he'll be coming back, and uh, hopefully we can uh, 
even shave off a, a few more minutes. You're, you're like one of those, you know, world famous <laughs> rock bands that does a lot of farewell tours. They don't <laughs> keep doing another tour because people want to see them so much. So good for yeah. you.